today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years. Cashandcarrykitchens.ie Email todaycb at rte.ie Now there are concerns that the slow pace of planning for wind farms could pose one of the greatest challenges to the state's renewable energy targets after no wind farm projects were granted planning permission in the 12 months between October of 2022 and October 2023. Well my next guest says that we need to speed up the planning process if we want to reach the government's climate action plan targets which sets down a target of having 80% of energy generated from renewables by the year 2030. Lisa Ryan is a professor in energy economics at UCD and she's here now. Good morning, Lisa. You're very welcome. Thank Thank you for being here this morning. So it seems fairly extraordinary that given what our targets are, that we had no wind farms granted planning permission between those that 12 month period, October to October of 2023. Can you explain to us why that happened? Well, first, if you don't mind, if I could just put it in context with regard to our climate change targets, you know, our whole strategy in Ireland is really about electrifying heat, electrifying transport. That's why we hear so much about EVs, heat pumps. And the idea is really to take fossil fuel out of the system. But of course, if we electrify heat and and transport, you know, there's no point in doing that unless our electricity system is based on renewables. So that's why we have this target of 80% renewables in electricity. I should just say at the outset, it's not 80% the whole energy system, just in electricity, Mm -hmm. we have a smaller target for renewables in in the rest of the energy system. So obviously we already have about four point, I think it's 4.7 gigawatts of onshore wind in the system and we want to have nine gigawatts. That's what it translates into if we're having 80% renewables. We need nine gigawatts of onshore wind. We need um, eight gigawatts of solar. We're going to have another, um, I suppose, four gigawatts probably of offshore wind. And right now, so a lot of that has not been built yet. Mm-hmm. So the, it is a very big problem if those projects haven't even had planning so okay. far. And you say that that is where the problem is that's where the hurdle is the planning system yes well at the moment I mean offshore wind is only a new technology so we're only really starting in that process we had an um, an auction for offshore wind last year so and four projects were you know successful in that auction so those projects are only starting looking for planning um, but the onshore wind ones we do have quite a pipeline of onshore wind in the system and they are waiting um, for planning and it's taking on average you know between 52 and 60 weeks to get planning planning. Mm-hmm. And the problem is you get planning and then you still have to look for a grid connection to the electricity grid, of course. And only then can you take part in the auction um, when we're looking for the next round of auctions will be in, in June. Okay. So if you don't have planning and mm-hmm. then you still have another two years to build your project after that, um, it's going to take a very long time b- before any of those projects are built by 2030. These are very big projects um, f- and I say that in the context of, of for lots of reasons but for people who are living near them they're probably glad that it's taking so long. They're probably glad that it's going through a rigorous process because it does affect their lives if that thing, that turbine is going to be near to their home. Yeah, that's and that's very true. And of course, they should um, be concerned and they should be consulted and engaged with um, local communities. So, I mean, 
it's it's very normal that we have this long planning process and that you know local populations are given the opportunity to to I suppose appeal or put in um, objections. The problem that we have in the whole system, the process that we have, is that a lot of the, nearly every single project is going for judicial review. So even ones that are get, you know after they've been through this rigorous process, you have to have an ecologist look at the environmental concerns as well, of course, because wildlife can be disturbed with these projects. But even once they get planning permission, then we have this judicial review system that most countries in Europe don't have. It should be said that most countries do have quite a long planning process also for wind. This We're not unusual in that regard. But what we are unusual with is this judicial review, which lends this uncertainty. So we don't know how long that'll take because it means going to court. Mm-hmm. And even if, um, as far as I understand it, if the project is lost, you can still go to the European court then afterwards, which is, of course, is also people's right. But it just means there's a huge uncertainty associated. So with a huge projects. uncertainty for those institutions and individuals who are seeking to invest in onshore wind. Yes, that's right. And so, I mean, it can take right now from door to door with a project between 12 and 14 years, I'm understanding, with a project. So if we, especially onshore wind, which the technology is there, we really need to get those projects built. Because we, if you think about it, we have 4.7 gigawatts built. We're, we're meant to have, and that's over a very long period, in fact. So, and we want to build another 4.3 gigawatts. Like, is it likely that those are going to be built before 2030? I, I mean, it's a strong pipeline in the system. Well, we were talking earlier in the programme about the fines that we will incur if we don't meet our, our targets. And they're significant, you know, estimated at over 3 billion, which is something to factor in as well. We asked on board Planola about this, and I'm going to bring you their response on uh, the planning process for renewable projects. They say direct applications are submitted directly to onboard Planola based on defined criteria identified in the Strategic Infrastructure Development Act. And uh, they say that those acts that they are working towards list various large scale projects, including wind farms with more than 25 turbines or having a total output greater than 50 megawatts that require a decision from the board as to whether they're defined as strategic. So they're the projects that they consider. That's what they're explaining there. The normal planning appeals, they say other projects not listed in that schedule, such as smaller scale wind farms and solar farms, are submitted for permission to the relevant local authority as normal. And if they are appealed, the board makes the decision. So they have an, an involvement also in the smaller scale ones. On board Panola process, 23 applications related to wind energy projects, they granted a total of 13 permissions in 2023. So obviously that was outside of the period that we're discussing here up to October. Under strategic development planning legislation, four permissions were granted. Under normal planning appeal, nine permissions were granted and ten permissions were refused. So I suppose what they're demonstrating to us there, Lisa, is that they are dealing with these applications and appeals when they come in. They are getting through them. They are getting through them. Um, as you say, there was a cluster of projects that were approved at the end of the year. And that's partly because that's the time of year when people um, look. There's a window once a year where basically projects can apply for a grid connection. So there was a rush of projects approved that were able to get their grid connection. I, I mean, on Lord Planola is in a very difficult decision. They've undergone, you know, a lot of reform themselves. They need significant resources. They've hired, my understanding is nearly up to 100 people in the last year. But when you consider the scale of the projects that are going to be going through, these offshore wind projects are huge. So you need a lot of people inv- involved that have expertise. And we don't really have any expertise in wind, uh, offshore wind in Ireland. So it means mm-hmm. hiring people who have planning expertise, but also you need, um, on, um, not oncologists, ecologists, <laughs> um, to look at all the environmental impacts because they are significant. Because I think what one of the problems that's happening is that maybe 
there hasn't been significant resources. There haven't been sufficient resources. And so some of the planning decisions then, they may have had a small error in them and it meant that the whole thing had to be gone through again. Whereas if um, on board plan can just say correct an error in a small in a in a planning decision, then it means that you don't have to go through the whole process again or go out to judicial review. Should, should our focus then be on the offshore wind projects? Like will we get a greater yield from them or do we need to do both in tandem on and offshore? We do need to do both. The onshore ones are much more uh, closer to being ready to go if they can get their planning and their grid connection. That technology is you know, much further ahead in terms of its established. But the offshore wind is the future. So as it is, we're behind an offshore wind. You know, we have the Arklow Bay um, offshore wind project that's been there for a long time. But we kind of paused then and if you look at Scotland the Netherlands Denmark in the in the in the North Sea there's a lot of offshore wind projects coming along it was a very expensive technology the cost has dropped in the last 4 years just dramatically mm-hmm. and it's because the technology has changed so Ireland needs really needs to play catch up because we've identified um, Ireland as one of the largest offshore wind resources in Europe if not the largest and it's, it doesn't make sense for us to just let that lie and be behind <coughs> we need to you make sure m- you we kick start it You mentioned that we had that auction though last year Yes Does that not show that we're making some progress on that Oh fund? yes it we certainly are. does so we've not we have uh, had the offshore, uh, offshore wind auction so 4 gigawatts has been um, commissioned if you will in, in under that auction, they've made there's a new um, agency responsible for uh, offshore wind. But it just means that now the, those projects are now putting in their planning applications. If they don't go through in the next like year, year and a half, it means that then they can only start to be built. And we still need to put in all the infrastructure that will go around them. A port needs to be built probably to serve them. There's a lot of different pieces. Mm-hmm. So the earliest maybe will be 2028. And that's if everything goes quickly. OK, I'm looking at this really helpful map, which tells us which European countries use the most and the least renewable energy. Now, we're not the best. We're not up there with the Nordic countries, but we're not the worst either by a long shot. No, we're very good at offshore, uh, sorry, renewables. Um, If you look at across the board, all of our different uh, climate targets, our different aspirations, and in fact, the European Commission just um, assessed the National Energy and Climate Plan. They were quite critical of Ireland's National Energy and Climate Plan. And the only thing they did say was that the renewable electricity targets were ambitious and laudable, and that's where we should focus on. Ireland, we don't have hydroelectric power. So the countries with the highest share of renewable electricity in Europe have a significant advantage, most of them because they have already large mountains where they can put hydroelectric power. That option isn't open to us. So we have focused on onshore wind, which was the right thing to do. It was the cheapest technology at the time. It's tr- it's technologically more difficult than just having everything on hydroelectric power. And we have, I think, uh, done very well. And we're up to about 40 percent, probably a little bit higher this year in the last year because we had a windy year. And that is significant, achieving 40 percent renewable electricity without large shares of hydroelectric power like the Nordic countries do mm-hmm. uh, is a great achievement. But now we have this opportunity to lead the way with offshore wind, but it will take a huge amount of planning, but all the infrastructure that is going to OK, and we know that it. people have concerns about offshore as well and the That's ecological right. impact of that. Coming back to onshore, though, can more be done to look after their communities that we expect to host the, the infrastructure here? Yeah, I mean, there have been some studies showing that there are also significant benefits for communities because there's, you know, a certain amount of employment, particularly in the build phase. We In the in the latest RES schemes, the Renewable Energy Support Schemes, um, a community benefit fund has to be paid into by the companies. These are only really starting in the last year because it's taken a while because the, it only started in 2022, really. Um, but there's a lot of funds going to be going into those. There will be millions going into local communities through these schemes. Mm-hmm. So I think that should help. We shouldn't see 
see it though as a way of just buying off communities. I don't think that'll help in the long run. There has to be significant engagement with communities so that they that they get something out of it too. Of yeah, course, yeah, because often um, these installations go in remote and very beautiful areas. Yeah, that, that, Sadly, that's a problem. The, the, the windiest places um, are often the most beautiful places, and of course, if we're if we've been you know looking at a beautiful pristine landscape, it is difficult to imagine it covered with turbines. Mm-hmm. But usually, you know, it's not completely covered for starters, and we have to think, um, I suppose, about the general public good, and we need to have electricity. Our demand for electricity is increasing as we move away from coal and natural gas and oil. Um, and what? How will we generate the electricity? Yeah. So the question is always. If not wind, what else would you pref- would we prefer another coal fired power plant? I don't think anybody would like that. Are there engineering developments coming that might uh, result in a more modern way of capturing wind that's less intrusive on the landscape? I suppose the big technology is that the turbines are getting larger in the sense that they're higher up. So if you're standing next to one, they're really quite far up in the sky. So you need fewer of them to generate the same power. Mm-hmm. And, and the, also if and you're the near noise. them, you won't. The noise. Yeah. The, I mean, the noise issue, I mean, obviously everybody ha- knows what they feel or what they hear. But I think it's sometimes reported as this, as this loud hum. Whereas if you stand next to a turbine, in my experience, it's generally, you only hear it right next to it. And it's kind of a whooshing sound from time to time that goes by. But some people will say then that you'll only hear or feel that sound while you're further away, like a kilometre away. You might hear it more than if you're standing right beside it. I don't know if there's any truth in that, but that's what people say who are concerned about them. Well, um, I don't think there's real evidence to support it, to be Mm. honest. But I mean, obviously, everybody feels and hears things that's difficult it's very subjective viewpoint but overall if you see the the rollout of of wind everywhere um this doesn't seem to be a medical issue for for sure but i do think that it's one of the big benefits of offshore wind because you know although they are visual you'll be able to see them from the coastline in some cases not always but the fact is they are out to sea so they are not there's not going to be any of these other issues that people uh, do talk about mm. like but then you noise have or flicker. the conversation which I'm sure we'll have on another day about drilling into the seabed and, and all of the problems that people say that's going to bring with them but we will go there again We will go uh, there Lisa. but a lot of those problems are being addressed with floating offshore because they're less there's less drilling going down and mm. um, they're just it's more like oil rigs which are just anchored into the seabed so there are some uh, you know there's there are environmental concerns unfortunately no matter what energy source we look at yes we, there are there are environmental concerns and people concerns and we have to look at and try and prioritize which of these are the ones that we're going to try and focus on well we'll leave it there for now but thank you very much for coming in and I do hope we'll talk again that's Professor Lisa Ryan who's Professor in Energy Economics at UCD coming up more science the science this time behind Lee Piers. Text 51551 today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.